0: Okay, let's, let's read this account here. And so in Mark chapter 16, it says this in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the, from the entrance of the tomb? Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And now turn with me to Revelation chapter one. Last book in your Bibles. We'll read in verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, This. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the shining sun in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying... Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray this morning. Lord, as we come to your word, I just ask that you'd lay your right hand on us. You did that for John, Lord. You laid your right hand upon him and strength was imparted to him. And Jesus, as we consider your resurrection, your gospel, your crucifixion, your defeat of sin and death in the grave, we pray, Lord, that you would lay your right hand upon us. Strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I love Resurrection Sunday. Anybody else like that? This is my favorite Sunday of the year, okay? So I know Christians, you know, we land in one of two spots. You really like Christmas is your favorite Sunday of the year, Or Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Sunday's mine, okay? So, you know, if you guys, if you pick Christmas, you don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, all week we've been having some sweet times of gathering um, this morning at Gospel Rock there for sunrise, which we didn't see a lick of, just a lot of clouds and and wind and rain. We gathered on Thursday night, kind of did something a little bit different this year for a communion uh, service where... We read through the uh, the betrayal account and had a time of just quietness and silence. And it was like a a really sweet time of communion together. We gathered on Friday night up at, at CLA with a number of churches again. And both of those gatherings, Thursday night, Friday night, were about the cross and our belief, our trust, our hope in the transaction that happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross and gave his life there. Um, we know what the gospel is. Maybe you don't know it. So let me just tell you what it is. The gospel, the gospel is this, that Jesus bore the sin of humanity, our wrongdoing, our rebellion against God in his body on that tree. And he offered himself to God in our place, offering himself as our substitute for our sin. And he died on the cross He died, and Jesus there made atonement. It means that there was a divine transaction that happened. He offered his life as a substitute, and God accepted him as a substitute in our place. And by his death, we were reconciled, the Bible says, brought back into right relationship with God through his blood. That's why we would sing this morning, there's power in the blood. Like, if you show up at church, you're like, what is with these people singing about power in the blood. That's why we would sing that that there's power in the blood because it's through the blood of Jesus that we were reconciled to God. And so we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. We trust as followers of Christ in the work of the cross and we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and there's nothing actually childish or infantile about it. I want to I want to tell you this in fact Scholars would say this, any scholar that's worth a pound of salt, whether they're a Christian scholar, a secular scholar, a historian, if they're worth anything, they will tell you this, that the death of Jesus Christ and his existence, his death on a Roman cross is a historical fact. It's like not in question whatsoever for those who are scholars and for those who study such things. There, in fact, is so much evidence for the death of Jesus Christ on a Roman cross in Jerusalem that scholars would tell you this, that if you can't believe that, you actually cannot trust anything you're told about the ancient world. That's crazy, you guys. There is more evidence for the death of Jesus Christ on a Roman cross than there is for the existence of Julius Caesar. Did you know that? It's true. It's true, and we, 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 we fight against it, we resist against it, we're told other things. People say, no, no, that's, that's silliness, that's silliness. But the fact that Jesus died on the cross is, is totally clear to historians and scholars. I was thinking about that. I, I wanted to ask you, like, how many of you would, maybe you'd raise your hand, you said, I made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ when I was just a child. How many, how many here did that? Yeah, interesting, you know. When you were told about the death and resurrection of Jesus as a child it was because you trusted someone you know they told you what, what Jesus did for you how he died and how he was raised from the dead and you believed the message of the gospel because you trusted someone who communicated it to you and the holy spirit drew you and revealed Jesus Christ to him to you and you trusted in the saving work of Jesus and the bible says you were born again. You were born of the spirit. It was childlike faith necessary to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that, right? We know this. He said, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he is like a child. But part of the maturity of our faith is growing in our understanding that your faith in Jesus, your faith in the work of the cross, your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not without substance, church. It's not without substance. It's good for us to know that the crucifixion, the death of Jesus on a Roman cross is a established historical fact. It's a fact. But here's the thing. The evidence also points to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, by faith, we believe that and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We believe in our hearts, Paul said, and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a childlike faith, but I'll tell you this, it is not infantile to trust in Jesus. It is childlike, but what it is not is childish. It's not childish to trust in Jesus. And what's So cool about the Christian message is this, that is that Christianity began with the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and The believers were filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues. And there was all the commotion that happened. It happened uh, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And at Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, Peter stood up. As there were those observing things and wondering what is going on with these people. Peter stood up and he addressed the crowd. And he proclaimed to them that the things that they were witnessing, the things that they were seeing... We're in fulfillment to the prophecies of the prophet Joel. Joel prophesied that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and that it would come to pass that everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And as Peter continued preaching to the crowd, he began to preach the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the proclamation of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the beginning of the church. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. You can read it in your Bible. You can follow on the screen. These are the words of Peter. He said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible, Peter says, for Jesus to be held by death. And Peter proclaimed to this crowd that Jesus approved he sorry he proved his identity uh, to those who witnessed his life and ministry by the things he did. First he came and he preached and he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven. He announced the rule of God. He announced that the kingdom of heaven would first be in us. He announced that God desired to exercise his rule over the human heart in the lives of men and women. And Jesus announced that the kingdom was not this thing that was about external conformity, but it was about an inner transformation that needed to happen in your life. That Jesus wanted to change what was ruling in your heart and in your life, and an internal transformation could happen Through Jesus Christ, where God would transform your your heart by his spirit. And Jesus said you would be born again. You would be born of the spirit. Because the Bible teaches us that our sins separate us from God. And so they needed to be forgiven. The Bible teaches us that our sin is the reason why we die And Jesus came to deal with that so that we could be forgiven. And so Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's very close to you. And it can be in you. He preached the need for repentance and faith. And Jesus claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be God. And then he demonstrated those claims with acts of power. He proved his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, by the things that he did, like he turned water to wine. I've tried it. I can't do it, you know. (laughs) Maybe you've tried that one. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. When the lame were brought to him, he touched them and they were healed. He exercised authority over the physical world. He exercised authority over the animal kingdom. Over the weather, he stood in a boat and he spoke to the wind and it ceased. He spoke to the raging waves and he stilled the sea. He walked on water. He exercised authority over the spiritual realm. Did something no one could ever imagine. He cast out demons with a word. He multiplied bread and fish and he fed multitudes. He healed lepers. No one had heard of such a thing. It was impossible. He healed lepers. Not only that, he raised the dead. He raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. He raised the son of the widow from Nain from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He claimed the authority to forgive sins. He knew the thoughts of men. When you read the gospel accounts, it tells us that he knew the thoughts of men and women and communicated them before they themselves verbalized what was going on in their hearts. He said before Abraham was, I am. And the people of his day knew exactly who he was claiming to be, Messiah, God. And Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and he preached to that crowd and he said this Jesus was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter was saying this that that the crucifixion of Jesus was not an accident. That it didn't you know it wasn't God's plan got turned slightly sideways and things didn't go exactly how Jesus had planned. No Peter says the entirety of his of the events surrounding his death were part of the definite plan of God, the determinate counsel of God. All things surrounding his death were according to the foreknowledge of God, Peter says. We know this and we turn in our Bibles and we read in the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Friday night, Blake walked us through one of the great ones, Isaiah 52 and 53, and we see the things that were prophesied about the death of Jesus. In Acts 2, if we were to read on, Peter points to the Psalms and he talks about the writings of David and he says David wasn't writing about himself here. He was writing about Jesus. The, The death of Jesus was according to the foreknowledge of God and the prophets revealed the death of Jesus in great detail what would happen beforehand because nothing that was done to him was done outside of the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. Even Jesus himself declared, after three days, I'll rise again. His disciples didn't understand, but he knew he was functioning in the plan of God because he was God. And he was crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men, Peter says. But then again, in verse 24, Peter says, God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was not possible for him to be held by it. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the message that gave birth to Christianity. When you go through your Bible, that's what was preached. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 10, Acts 13... Acts 17, the message the apostles preached was Christ Jesus raised from the dead. And the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the quintessential, central message of Christianity. It is this. He is risen. He's defeated sin and death. He's defeated it. The resurrection is the message of Christianity. And Peter says... Death could not hold him. It was not possible. It was not possible for him to be held by death. And I think to myself, well, why, Peter? Why Why would you say that? Why would you say that it was not possible for death to hold him? We all know that's a permanent, pretty permanent thing. Well, Jesus said this in John 5, 26. It will be on the screen. He said, for as the father has life in himself... So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Elsewhere in John 14, Jesus made that very famous statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. And I want to point out to you that word. He said, I am the life. And that statement means this. That Jesus does not simply have life. The father did not simply grant him life. The statement means this. He is life. He is the essence of what it means to live. Jesus is life. And Jesus said to know me is to have what? Eternal life. To have life. In Revelation 1. Where we read John records a vision that he had of the glorified Lord and in this vision while he's on the island of Patmos John heard a loud voice and he said it sounded like a trumpet and he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him and he saw seven golden lampstands and standing in their midst was one standing like a son of man John said he was clothed in a long robe he had he had a golden sash across his chest or around his chest and his hair was uh, white like wool and like snow. His eyes were burning like flames of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze and his face was shining like the sun. And John says, when he turned to him, the voice of this person was not just like the sound of a trumpet, but it was also like the roar of many mighty rushing waters. And from his mouth came a, Sharp two-edged sword. And John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like I was dead. But then he did this. He laid his right hand on me. The hand that just a moment before John had seen holding seven stars, the right hand. Was laid on John. And John was instantly strengthened. That hand, when it was placed on John, imparted strength. To him, That's what the hand of Jesus does. It imparts strength, his touch. And Jesus said these words to John, fear not. That was the reaction in Mark's gospel of the women when they left the tomb. It says that they left afraid and they did not believe. Well, this morning, my prayer for you is this, that you would not be afraid and you would believe. Jesus said, fear not. It reminds me of so many situations in Scripture where we're commanded, fear not. Stories of that. I think of when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she would conceive a child, though a virgin, conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. And the angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. And she said, what what is going on here? She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, fear not, for you have found favor. With God. Later, the angel appeared to Joseph and he was working through the turmoil of his young future wife being pregnant and wondering what was going on. And the angel spoke to him and said, Fear not, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 10, Jesus was teaching and he spoke about God's care for the sparrow. He said, not a single sparrow falls to the ground without the father knowing. The father looks after the birds of the heavens. And then he said to those to whom he was teaching. O oh, you of little faith. Fear not. For you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus taught all who would listen to him not to fear men. Not to fear those who can harm your body, but have no power over your soul. He said, I'll tell you to fear. Fear him who has the power to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. And This is the one Jesus, uh, John had a vision of, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus put his hand on John. And he said those words, fear not. And there was an immediate impartation of strength to John. And he said to John, John. I am the living one. The book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us, it'll be on your screen, that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Take note of that. It says, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. When Jesus told John, I am the living one, he was not simply saying, I'm alive, John. He was not simply saying, I defeated death and the grave. I was resurrected, John. He was saying this to John. John, I have life. John, I am the source of life. I am the source of life for people and for all who would come to me. That's why at the touch of his hand... Strength was immediately imparted to John. Jesus is the living one. The way, the truth, and the life. And life in its absolute sense belongs to Jesus. Jesus has life absolutely, meaning this, that life is in no way diminished in Jesus. You know, I'm getting older and tireder and, More gray hairs and more gray in the beard. And life feels like sometimes you're like, okay, I don't know. It's diminishing. Life is by no means diminished in the Lord Jesus. And that is why Jesus could say, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Because he is full life. He is absolute life. There is no sense in him whatsoever That life is somehow restricted. Death could not hold him, Peter said. Us, in contrast, our experience of life is relative. Our experience of life is in proportion to our relationship with God, with Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us when we were in sin, we were dead. Not that we were alive. When we were in sin... We were dead. We were dead in sin because the wages of sin is, church, death. And all life comes from Jesus. Jesus has life absolutely. And the life that we have is simply sharing in his life. This is what the word of God tells us. That the fact that you woke up this morning is because God allows his breath to be in you. For your heart to work. Paul came to understand this completely in the spiritual sense. He said this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I do live. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Literally. Literally when we place our trust in Christ. We are born again and life from God is imparted to us. Strength is imparted to us. Peace, you know this if you trusted in Jesus. Peace is imparted to you. Joy, hope, a future. All of these things are imparted. Eternal life because to him belongs eternal life. And we participate in in his resurrected life by faith. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. This is a, a church creed. We do this from time to time. I think it's coming on the screen. Paul said this, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Listen to this. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul said, Jesus alone has immortality. In essence, Jesus is life. And to know him is to share in his life. To know him is to have eternal life. When we participate by faith with Jesus, we participate in the resurrection life, in resurrection life. Power. And Jesus said to John, I died, John, but behold, I am alive forevermore. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 1. That was the prophecy about Jesus. That was what the scripture declared would be the case. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, it says this He will be called great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the lord will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever forever and his kingdom will have no end behold john i am alive forevermore paul spoke of this in romans 6 he said this we know that christ being raised from the dead will never die again he will never die again death has no dominion over him. You know, there are those in the world who would say this, the resurrection of the dead, that's crazy to speak of such a thing, to speak of Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Well, the Bible says this, you might think that's crazy, but the Bible says this, that it was not possible that death could hold him. And it's not possible that he would ever die again. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ, let me tell you this, it's not possible that death can hold you. Fear not, little children. It is not possible for death to hold you when you place your trust in Christ. There is the promise of the resurrection. And so Jesus says to John, I have the keys of death and Hades. The authority belonging to Jesus is his, in his resurrection is so great that he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, Jesus is the Lord of the physical realm and Jesus is the Lord of the spiritual realm. All worlds, all things, uh, he holds authority over them all. The keys of death and Hades, Hades is a reference to the holding place of the dead, spirits, And Jesus is claiming that to him belongs the authority to release people from the dead. The authority to release people from death. Apart from Christ, we're dead. The Bible says death came through sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. But Jesus has the power to release us from sin's power and penalty and consequence, death. He holds the keys to death and Hades. And he is the authority to free all who would look to him. I always love that in the Gospels. The Bible tells us that one day his voice will speak and the dead will rise. All dead in all generations, the righteous and the unrighteous will be raised from the dead. In the account of Lazarus, we often say this, that Jesus had to call Lazarus by name, Lazarus, come out. Because if he simply said, come out, he would have emptied every grave in the world. He had to be specific. Lazarus, come out. But the day will come when he will call every person who has ever lived out of the grave and he will judge the living and the dead. He has the keys of death and Hades. He has the authority to free all who would look to him. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the receipt that guarantees that transaction that happened on the cross. He went to the cross. He bore your sin in his body on the tree. He offered himself as a substitute to atone for your sin. He gave his life. For your life. And then he died. And was buried. And then rose from the dead. And the life of Jesus is offered to you by faith. When you repent of sin. When you turn to the Lord Jesus. In faith. He imparts to you. His life. He forgives your sin. And so the gospel message is just. Very simply, this all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. And Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross in our place for our sin. He was buried, and on the third day, as he said he would do, he rose from the dead. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible that he be held by it. And the life that he has. He offers to us absolute life, eternal life, full life, life. The life of Christ is imparted to us when we put our faith in him. You know, when you speak about the resurrection of the dead, it's a, it's a mysterious thing, isn't it? It's like, wow, it's beautiful. It's mysterious. You can, you can turn to the book of first Corinthians. I'd encourage you to go home today and Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the promise that you will be raised from the dead. Resurrection is a mysterious thing to say that someone could rise from the dead. But I want to tell you this, church, this is important. Christianity is quintessentially a resurrection faith. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have no gospel apart from it. And Jesus imparts his life to those who trust in him. I was, I was thinking about what is it like to serve Jesus? What's it like? I don't know. There's just so many great metaphors and things you could think of. One I think of as often as this. It's kind of like coming home. You don't know, even away and you're like, you come home. And it's like your house and your stuff and your comfort. And it's like, man this is a place where I just feel secure. I feel safe. I feel like I can just be myself here. I feel like I can rest here. I feel like in this place, you know, the world's judging and doing all this stuff. But I feel like here, man, I just feel like myself. I have to tell you, coming to Jesus is like coming home, isn't it? Or it's like, you know, I used this metaphor the other night. It's like, being out in a storm on the ocean and coming into a safe harbor where the water is still and the wind has ceased and the boat's not rocking and you're not fearing for your life. It's like, it's like secure. We're coming to Jesus. It's like coming into a tower, you know, having an enemy that's chasing you, pursuing you. And then all of a sudden you've got somewhere where you can run to where you're secure Coming to Jesus is like having life and strength imparted to you. John turned to see who was speaking to him. And it was Jesus. And Jesus laid his right hand on him. And strength was imparted to him. And he said, fear not. This morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I want to give this opportunity as they're making their way up here. Uh, For you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe uh, you've never done that. Maybe you have, but the Bible just says it's a simple thing. You know, we we believe that sin separates us from God. We believe that Christ came to break that division and to bring us back into relationship with God, and He did that through that work on the cross. He offered Himself as a sacrifice for the sins of men. His blood was shed, and then He was buried. And he rose from the dead, proving that the transaction of the cross was real. And he offers life to all who would trust in him, who would repent of their sin and place their faith in him. Isn't it time you come home? Come home. Come home. Come home. Would you bow your heads? with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, we worship you. We praise you and we acknowledge that all honor and glory belongs to you because you hold the keys of death and Hades. All authority is yours. You defeated sin. You defeated death. You defeated the grave. You defeated the devil. And Jesus, the day is going to come when you will judge the living and the dead. You will say, come out. And all people of all generations, the righteous and the unrighteous will come up out of the graves. They'll face judgment. But Jesus, the cross is this, that you were judged in our place. You were judged in our place and if we'll place our trust in you, the promise is this, you'll forgive us our sins, you'll count us as those who are righteous and you will impart your life to us. Lord, this morning I just pray that your your spirit would just draw people if they don't know you this morning. I pray God that they would sense uh, the call of your spirit, that they would sense in their own hearts the longing and desire for peace and for quietness, the longing for rest and for hope. And this morning, if, if you don't know Jesus, look at it, it's just this simple. <laughs> I'm gonna just ask you to keep your eyes closed, heads bowed. Will you just pray with me? You just pray this. You just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. And I ask that you would give me life. Be the Lord of my life. Come and be the Lord of my life. And Jesus will impart his life to you. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning. Jesus, I just confess, apart from you, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Lord, I repent. And I turn in faith to you. I believe that you died in my place on that cross. I believe that you offer me forgiveness and you offer me life. And so Jesus, I come to you. I'm coming home, Jesus. I come to you for life. Fill me with your spirit and give me that life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe uh, if you prayed that this morning and you haven't done that before, we'd sure love to know about it because we wanna just encourage you and help you along in your relationship with Jesus. So let me know. Come chat with me. Tell somebody beside you. And uh, why don't you stand with me? Let's sing this morning as we celebrate the resurrection.